0: Welcome to Smart Water Solutions Podcast. I am Hakim Irfadil. This is episode number 27. Today's guest is Martin Telkirst, the Director of Investment at Pure Terra Ventures. Welcome, Martin.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Hakim. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, Martin, uh, would you share with us your career and passion in investment and why water has gotten your attention?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so my background originally is is not in water uh, at all, I suppose. Like many people who ended up in water, it, uh, it sort of happened by chance. Um, I'm originally Dutch, uh, grew, grew up in the Netherlands, studied there as well. And about nine years ago, a little bit more, I first came to China on uh, a trip visiting some close friends of mine that had already moved here. And basically fell in love with the city uh, the dynamism the opportunities that i saw uh, in china for at the time a young professional well still sort of a young professional but at the time uh, even younger than i am now um I fell in, fell in love with the city and, and saw loads of opportunities there so i decided to uh, move to china 2 years later um and fairly quickly ended up working for what is the mother company of what is now Pure Terra. Um, We did management consulting there, Uh, I was helping uh, companies in the water and wastewater space with their strategy when it comes to China, looking at their distribution strategy, uh, customizing products for the Chinese market, manufacturing, uh, those types of things. and it's about four years ago that um, together with uh, the CEO of our uh, uh, of our, our group company, uh, we started looking at uh, what else can we do and how can we work more with startups. That was always something that we thought we, we enjoyed more. Uh, as a consulting firm, that was uh, fairly difficult because they obviously couldn't afford any of our, our fees. Um, but we wanted to use the network that the group already had uh, in the water sector. Our group organizes um, some of the leading events in Asia in the water and wastewater industry, one of uh, of which is uh, currently the largest uh, water technology exhibition in the world, the Aquatech China. Um, It's actually happening this week, probably one of the only water events globally that's still happening. Um, And that's when basically the idea was born to start a venture capital firm focused on water technologies. Um, A, because we wanted to do something with startups, like I said, but also we saw that there was really a need for that. We saw that a lot of water technologies at that stage where they've developed the technology, perfected the technology and are in that commercialization stage where they need to start selling, it's, it's relatively hard for them to A, make that transition and B, to find capital to finance that. So we saw a gap in the market Um, initially we had quite humble beginnings we were uh, going to structure it more or less like a family fund with uh, the funds that our our founders have have garnered over the years Um, but fairly quickly we saw that there was a lot of traction that we were getting with that idea there was a lot of demand for an investor with a profile like ours Um, and so that took off fairly quickly and we, we spun out pure Terra Ventures as a separate company and, uh, and I've been running that ever since. So uh, that's, that's sort of how I rolled into it. To, to answer your question as to the passion, I, I think for me, the passion about water and working with water startups is um, it's, it's it's very dynamic. There's a lot of angles that need to be taken into account. Water is important, but it's also hard. Uh, it's very niche. It's a, It's a very closed circle, I would say, Uh, incestuous is how I sometimes put it. Uh, People tend to change polo shirts, not industry. Uh, You see the same people uh, at every trade show, uh, more or less. Um, So there's a lot that can go wrong for startups in this space. Uh, A lot of it depends on the people and how you work with those people. And that for me makes it uh, really interesting. Uh, I find it really interesting to, to help founders succeed in their in their in growing their business
0: right and 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 then if i understood correctly i mean the mother company is the one who i'd say behind the the organization of um aquatic in china is that correct yes correct right and then well that's that's in itself it's i'm not sure if this if um if this one is kind of another bonus for the startup that you are you know leading because that's itself is something I would say for the startup. Um, so if, if I understood correctly, pure Terra as a venture capital, the, the scope and vision it's um, it's about hardware and I would say, yeah, kind of digital water technology or simply just uh, the hardware water technology?
1: It's both, um, okay. you're correct. So it's 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 water in the broadest sense of the word. So anything that touches water or deals with water, be that uh, filtration systems or biological treatment or digital solutions, uh, we'll look at it. Um, Some solutions that we're looking at are really on the peripheral side of of water, especially with digital solutions. You very often see that the really good technologies don't just work in water, but they also work in electricity or sometimes even in, in consumer applications. Um, so we'll we'll look at all of that,
0: right? And then I mean, before jumping to let's say the the, the decision that you yeah, let's say yeah, based on the process that based on your um, investing water startup. So, if I look to the water market, um, I mean before COVID or maybe right now after COVID, the water market is always sending signals. I mean, it needs something either in let's say in wastewater, residential, industrial. So um, everyone is sending signal, but some applications they send more signals. So, based on your experience, so which kind of let's say water applications is more on demand or sending more signal right now in in Asia, in your region, and also in um, you know in 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 the region that you are covering right now, Europe and Asia.
1: Yeah. So, what we really see is an an increased interest in anything to do with. Monitoring, smart monitoring, um, be that biological or other types, and anything that allows a utility or industrial player to remotely operate their facilities in a smart and efficient way. Um, I think a lot has been said about this by various people in the industry recently, but we basically got five years of digitization in, in a couple of months' time, essentially. Um, People are really starting to wake up to the fact that if you have the right monitoring systems and the right digital systems to manage those monitoring solutions, um, that you're able to work much more efficiently and and are much more resilient to challenges like what is happening right now in the world.
0: Right. So when you mention monitoring, so you 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 I mean, uh, it, it's a wastewater municipal water. So both of them, industrial water as well, or
1: theoretically, it's everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially when it comes to digital, we tend to be a little bit broader at at what we look. So we'll also look at municipal. When it comes to hardware solutions, we don't tend to look at the municipal side so much um, for two reasons: a, municipalities are extremely risk averse and slow for a very good reason, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they are, Uh, and b we find that there's not always proper commercial incentives in place in that market. Um, So a product with a very clear ROI may or may not get adopted there, depending on what the the, the politics are and who's making the decision, which really makes it much harder for a startup that needs to generate revenue in order to survive to scale to a a sufficient size to uh, uh, to be sustainable. When it comes to digital, that scope for us broadens a little bit um, because, by its nature, very often these uh, technologies are much more scalable and offer uh, recurring revenue streams, which makes it more interesting from an investment perspective.
0: Right. And what are, let's say, the the most important criteria based on you decide to invest in this water technology, that's one thing. And also the criteria based on you decide to invest in this entrepreneur or this entrepreneurial team. So what are those two, two kind of criteria? Good
1: question. So when we look at the specific technology, what we are looking for is something that is really disruptive. So. We're not looking for incremental change. We're looking for something that's 50, 60, 70, 80% better than what's already out there and really has the potential to turn a current treatment train or an industry vertical on its head. Um, because water is so slow, if, you're just, if you just have an incremental change... Chances are that by the time you've scaled it enough to be profitable, your competitor is already out there. So, we want to make sure that that's not the case. Um, then, it needs to be scalable, both in terms of the actual solution and in terms of the business model. Um, and I, I would say those are the two main criteria that, that we look for. There's a number of others that we, I, can, I can list, but, but let's not go into that deeply. When we look at the team, We try to look at that in a very holistic way. So, we look first and foremost at the founder. Uh, At the stage that we invest in, usually the founders are going to be uh, the most critical in the business. So, there needs to be a certain collection of skills and personality um, that we feel is able to lead this uh, company for the foreseeable future. Um, Most founders. don't last forever in their own startups. At some point, there may be a a need for leadership change when the company starts growing, but at least when we invest, we need to feel comfortable that for the coming years, this is the right person to be leading this company. And then for the team, it's really about how does the team work together? And do you have the right people in the right seats on the bus? So we look at pretty holistically, what does this company need now, but also in two, three years? What's already there, and then what is missing there, and can we augment that easily, or are there really wide gaps that that need filling, essentially? Then on, uh, sorry, and then when it comes to personality, um, uh, people sometimes underestimate how important that is. But we look at a how flexible people are in their thinking. Um, how easily they can take advice from people if they're coachable. We're very active in our approach to working with startups. So we need people that are open to advice and open to criticism. Um, And we need people that are able to pivot. Um, When you start a journey with with a startup, you don't know what you don't know. And so it may be that the approach that the company is taking uh, may need to change and a company needs to be able to pivot like that. And finally. it's also important that we feel that, uh, we can enjoy working with them. Uh, you're basically taking off on a journey of all well, anywhere between three and seven years until you, um, realize an exit for, for your portfolio companies. Um, and we're also just people. So we want to have a good time while working with these startups. Right.
0: I mean, three to seven years, um, I mean, it's definitely, if we benchmark the water startups compared to, let's say, the IT or biotech, it's it's a long. So why is that for water?
1: Well, water is slower. We're not selling apps in the app store. Yeah. But it, it takes time to develop sales networks. It, it takes time to perfect the engineering and the implementation of your solution. And the water industry in general is just uh, more conservative than Consumers trying out a new dating app um, again for very good reason, but that is one of the characteristics of our industry. Um, you can complain about it, but that 's just reality, um, so we need to take that into account when looking at uh, at our investment period.
0: Yeah. Is it not something also related to um, a the first one is value proposition it 's not an easy one to convince a plant manager. Be maybe to the re- regulation. Are those two things? Maybe they kind of,
1: uh, yeah. Um, yes, um, yes. It's hard to convince people to change what they've been doing for a very long time. Um, if you've been using a certain technology for a very long time, and somebody comes along with something new and shiny, yeah, it's it's a challenge to convince them that this is a better solution. Uh, that's one and. At the same time, we also see quite a lot of technologies that have advantages, but at the same time, our solutions or are, are technologies looking for a solution uh, rather than the other way around. Um, so, if you're in that bucket, then your take up is going to be even slower.
0: So, while you have been, I would, I mean, uh, as a strategic investor in the water industry, so you have, I would say, followed several, um, yeah. Several water startups. So, within this experience, I would say, what are the common mistakes that water startup entrepreneurs, I would say, should
1: avoid? Um, the the most common one, uh, I would say, for water startups, mistakes that they make is that they focus on the what and the how of their solution, and not the why. So user-centric design and looking at your solution at the level of the plant manager and how does this make their life easier and what does it do to the bottom line of the customer that I'm selling this to, that's a question that's being asked, in my humble opinion, far too little. And then um, within startups, when, when it comes to actually commercializing, um, What we see as well is that a lot of startups are lingering for far too long in the stage where they're trying to perfect their technology and add more features to it and and make it even better, which is understandable because a lot of the technologies that are in our industry are are quite technical. Um, To really understand them, you you need to have a a pretty high technical degree. Um, so it takes a long time to develop them, generally speaking. So if your company has been for five or seven years already um, working in a lab to perfect a solution, it's, it's a big step to stop doing that or to, to scale that down to a very significant degree and just start selling it and putting it out into, uh, into the field. And so the conversation that we very often have is, you know, at some point it's good enough and you need to just start selling it and putting it out in the field and then solving any small issues that you run into once it's there. And that way you'll learn far more than testing it in a, in a bench situation uh, with in a controlled environment. Uh, you don't know what you don't know anyway, and you need to have faith at some point in that your solution is going to work.
0: Okay. So if let me wrap up if I, would, if I understood correctly. So the, the first one is... The why, which is the value proposition and uh, the value proposition also, I mean, to my experience, it's it's not the same for the, I mean, if you send it for the OEMs, send it for end users, the the same technology, the value proposition might might vary, I would say. That's one thing you said, the value proposition. And then the second one is when it's good enough. And then when you mention when it's good enough, um, so to my understanding, water technology, it can be applied in several applications, in food, industrial, residential, and, and wastewater. And also, if you look only in wastewater, you have so many types of wastewater. So what, what, when you mention good enough, you mentioned if the technology is good enough to solve one application, let's try this technology, for example, in mining, let's try it. And then if we are good enough in mining, then we can move to other applications. Is this what you have mentioned?
1: Yeah, Uh, uh, yeah. I think that's a good way of summarizing it. Um, At some point you need to go out and sell, you need to start proving your technology and there's going to be problems and you'll find them out as you go along. Mm -hmm. Um, You can de-risk the technology even further, but at some point that just doesn't become, uh, doesn't make economic sense anymore. And what you're pointing out is also an excellent point. Focus is super important. A lot of these technologies do have multiple applications and multiple industries in multiple geographies. So companies tend to want to cover everything at once a little bit and then have offices all around the world when really the best thing you can do is basically look in a, in a 250 kilometer radius around where your firm is based And start looking for applications there. Um, There's usually plenty of applications uh, that you can find there with the added advantage that if something goes wrong or you run into any issues, you're close by and you can travel there and you can fix them. Whereas if you're in Europe and you're installing something in China as your second or third installation and things go haywire... Uh, then it becomes a lot more troubling because, a you need to travel there or you have a partner that you must have trained uh, that needs to solve the problem for you also has no idea how to do that. So you're just making life very difficult for yourself.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I completely agree with you. And another way how I understand it, which is, I mean, they said once technology is proven for, let's say, exactly focused applications, then... Maybe it's better for the company to self-finance commercialization for that applications and then move to the other applications. That's that's the way I understand. Um, so if, if I understood correctly, I mean, Martin, um, Pure Terra is investing not only in Asia, but also in Europe and in North America. Is it correct?
1: Yeah, actually, we invest mainly in North America and in Europe. Uh, Israel is, is an interesting country for us as well, but those those are really our focus. And that's simply uh, because that we see that most of the innovation um, is, is happening there. Uh, we are also a Dutch-based firm. Uh, our, our head office is in, in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. But we do have a, uh, a satellite office in Shanghai, which you know we've been in, in China and in Asia for, uh, for over 25 years already. Uh, so we have quite a history and a network there. What we use that network for is on the side of helping our portfolio companies to break into those markets. What's interesting about the Asian market is that the problems that they have um, with regards to water are much more severe than what you see in Europe or in the US. So the solutions that they need are generally speaking also a bit more innovative than uh, than what what is needed in Europe. And in general, I think in Asia, people are more keen to take up new innovations. Things tend to move a little bit faster here. Uh, There's a lot of infrastructure investment happening. So a lot of infrastructure on the water side is quite new here. They've leapfrogged quite a few, quite a bit of old technology that we're still using uh, in the West. So it's a little bit easier to roll out new technologies in Asia than it is in the West. So what that means from an investment standpoint is that there are a lot of players out there looking for the latest and greatest Western technology that they can buy and roll out in their sales networks that they already have present. The only condition that they generally place on that is that it already needs to be proven in the Asian markets. Uh, You can have a thousand technology uh, installations in the US. They're gonna argue that it's different in the US and it's not the same water or the different market conditions, whatever. Sometimes they're right, usually not, but it doesn't matter, that's the perception. But once you do have that foothold in the market uh, and you put yourself in a position where you can be acquired. Uh, the EBITDA multiples uh, that are being paid on acquisition in the Asian markets are up to two times as high as, as what we see in the West. So both from a founder perspective as, as from us as a, as, as a VC, that's extremely interesting. So being able to unlock that market and giving them the niche initial beachhead here, mm-hmm. even though on a pure revenue, uh, Perspective from a pure revenue perspective, it might not be super significant uh, on an actual exit perspective. It can be uh, a pretty impactful uh, value that we can add. Okay. And, I mean, why
0: is that is two time EBITDA for um, in Asia compared to North America?
1: Uh, because the, those types of solutions are very much sought after, um, and also in general. Um, EBITDA multiples in uh, in Asia, and specifically in China, are uh, much higher than the West. That also has to do with uh, the RMB not being freely tradable. Um, so most investors are not just able to get their uh, cash out of the money. So any savings are uh, essentially invested either in the stock market or in real estate. They don't really have another place to go. So that inflates prices here.
0: Okay. And then I mean you mentioned a new in, in, yeah a new innovation or invention in um, yeah in, in water tech. So are there any challenges when you invest I mean in, in, in new innovation in China compared to North America or Europe? What I mean by challenges, which is um, to my understanding, it's not an easy to protect um, an IP of technology in Asia compared to if you are in Europe or in North America, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to copy something and then, yeah, and then bring the same technology in the market, I would say.
1: Um, It's, I wouldn't say it's very difficult. I would, uh, I would disagree with with that statement. Um, Mm -hmm. China and Asia has a bad rep when it comes to IP. Um, Some of it's deserved. Uh, A lot of it is also a little bit of hype. Um, China specifically has massively improved when it comes to IP regulation. Um, A, because they're being forced to by the rest of the world, and B, because China itself is um, inventing more and more things and would also like to protect their own inventions. Um, It isn't at the same level as in the West, so you still need to be careful enforcement is more difficult. The regulations are more or less the same with a couple of exceptions, but enforcement is much more difficult. Um, But the way to go about that is just to be smart and and look at what it is that you actually bring to Asian markets. So when you have a certain technology, normally there's a core of your technology. That's, That's your black box, basically. Well, you don't want to share that with your sales partners or your customers uh, in China. You make sure that that's protected and that it's, it stays secret. Uh, everything around that you can outsource. You can manufacture the housings and the pipes and the valves and the, and the pumps and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but your core technology, you keep that in house, um, and just make sure that it's not copyable. Basically, if you have something that's really easy to reverse engineer. Uh, and just rely on patents, yeah, then it then it can be a little bit challenging. But I find most technologies rely on a on a combination of patents and, and trade secrets. So then it that makes it a lot easier. Okay.
0: And what about let's say the, the customer experience and service service after sales? Because to my understanding, when I was there with some customers, they really I mean the customers that I visit in China, they really value the service after sales i mean if they trust you that you can support them um it's not also easy for them to change you with other one who they don't they don't know know and maybe they will not believe
1: yeah well i would say that it's it's the same uh, it's the same anywhere if if you go and sell in belgium your customers will also expect you to uh, support your product afterwards so uh, i'm not sure that it's more so in asia Um, I think it's probably around the same level. What is important is that, you know, you have people on the ground that can help you with this. Um, Especially as a startup, uh, don't go setting up offices all over the world. Uh, Work with reliable partners um, that can do that type of servicing for for you and make sure that you do your due diligence on them beforehand.
0: Okay. And, talking about the market that you are in which is in China and Asia what is the i mean recently i've been reading some books about um, in China right now the, the river and there's so many yeah so many big discussion on um investing in the river uh, and actually in water treatments um in municipal water treatments and also in wastewater um so where do you see let's say the big opportunity of water treatment? i mean in which Sector.
1: Great question. So, uh, within Asia, we see mainly on the industrial side uh, there being a, a large demand for water treatment. Um, industry in general uh, has really been turned a blind eye when it comes to uh, uh, pollution. Uh, I mean. Ten years ago, you even had here in Shanghai, just metal factories just discharging directly into the river. That's not happening anymore. Um, Businesses are being closed. Um, In China, we've had a couple of years ago, the water Ten plan, where basically entire industries were told, uh, you now need to reach certain Discharge limits, and if you don't meet them within X number of years, we're going to close your business. Not, we're going to give you a fine or, or give you a slap on the wrist. We're closing your business. So that works pretty well to incentivize business owners to buy new technology. Um, so, so that's a big thing. I mean, you see now, for example, that the, the uh, zero liquid discharge uh, regulations in China are are more stringent than anywhere else in the world. Um, the, the, the disposal costs are uh, are immense here. So we see a lot of um, technologies focused on ZL, uh, ZLD um, coming up here in China quite, quite quickly. Anything to do with digital is being adopted quite quickly here. And then decentralized wastewater treatment is, is really popular here. Um, because they're leapfrogging a lot of the existing infrastructure that we have in the West that they don't have here. And they can start immediately by building just a decentralized solution, which uh, tends to be more cost efficient in many cases.
0: Okay. And what about the residential water?
1: Yeah, residential is, is, has been growing for, well, as long as I've been in China, for sure, uh, at double digit growth. Um, basically nowhere in Asia, you can drink the water from the tap, aside from maybe, maybe Singapore. Uh, well definitely Singapore Um, but most countries you cannot so people as a standard tend to just have uh, an under the sink RO system or uh, uh, or ultra filtration sometimes depending on on where you are Um, so that's that's a market that's still growing very quickly people are becoming more aware of the pollution in the water Uh, not that long ago people thought that you could clean the water by boiling it. That's traditionally what people do here. Uh, but of course, for heavy metals and all kinds of other contaminants, that, that doesn't work unless you're dealing with bacteria and viruses, which are usually already killed by uh, by the copious amounts of chlorine that they throw into the, into the drinking water here. Uh, that's not really gonna do much. Um, so that, that's growing quickly and we also see a lot of room for innovation there because a lot of the emerging contaminants like uh, pesticides and hormones and uh, pharmaceuticals are not really removed that well by, uh, by our own systems. So new technologies that can deal with those challenges uh, uh, can have a good market here as well.
0: Okay, so there is still a gap of innovation, I mean, to to fix those.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, uh, our our show is happening this this uh, this week, the AquaTech China, and a big part of that is actually point of views, point of entry, and it's just amazing what you see there. Uh, literally castles are being built uh, as exhibition uh, 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 exhibition stands and Russian models and water fountains and waterfalls and, and loud blaring music and, and video screens of four meters high and 10 meters wide, it's, it's, it's insane. But when you then actually walk inside the pavilion, it's all active carbon, reverse osmosis, uh, sand filters, <laughs> all, the, all the same stuff that you see everywhere. So it's, it's just repeat press, press play and marketing. Uh, but there's fundamentally nothing different about the technology, so that's that's a market that uh, we think is, is ripe for disruption.
0: Yeah, but I mean, is, is it expensive for the residential to adopt those innovative technology, or maybe the innovative technology they still didn't reduce the the product, the capex and opex.
1: Well, the challenge is always to make it um, cost effective and make it effective uh, and small enough. Because it do, it needs to fit within a pretty confined space, right? Yeah. When you're talking about an industrial municipal uh, application, you usually have a bit more space to work with. Uh, you're just working underneath your your countertop, so that's usually a challenge. Uh, but there are some technologies that are upcoming that, you know, if you can scale them down well enough, could be could be interesting.
0: Right, and um, so this brings me to the pure tail. Let's see, vision and scope. I mean. Uh... The vision, if I understand correctly, is about water technology. And I mean, right now we are investing where the innovation happened, which is, uh, you said, North America and Europe, and later on maybe Israel. But you still didn't start anything in Asia, I would say, till now.
1: In terms of investing in Asia, no. But that's not, like I said, that's not really our vision. Our vision is to invest in, in foreign companies and then open the Asian market for them. Uh, from a sales perspective Uh, and also from, you know, if they, if they need cost reduction, then we have capabilities to, to help them with uh, contract manufacturing and and reducing their cogs uh, to make them more competitive in that way.
0: Okay. So would you just briefly talk about the portfolio that you are leading right now?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, we're a relatively new fund. So, so far we've invested in, uh, uh, in two companies, uh, the first one is Cerahelix um, out of Maine in the US. They manufacture a ceramic membrane um, by using DNA technology as a template to basically make ceramic membranes that are in the in the PICO range, almost up to uh, the loose RO, um, about 10 times smaller than 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 what was previously possible, which which basically opens up a realm of new applications where where ceramic membranes can be used, which is really exciting, uh, especially in challenging applications like uh, food and beverage, mining separations, uh, uh, those types of applications. So that's that's very interesting. Um, what's interesting for us as a as a business model is also that they they don't need to manufacture the the membranes themselves. They take existing membranes and apply a coating, which of course is a business model. And keeping your manufacturing lean is very interesting. And then the second um, uh, technology that we invested in is a French company by the name of Rubix, which has basically developed a new way of using sensors that are measuring uh, right now, mainly air, but uh, this same principle also applies to water. Uh, where normally, if you have a sensor, you uh, apply a certain voltage, amperage, uh, you have a certain temperature of the actual electronics, and you try to keep that as constant as possible. What Rubik's does is modulate those variables and gather vastly more data per specific data point, point per specific composition of air than a single sensor could ever do, um, but you don't know what they mean because you're modulating all those parameters. So there's no way that you actually know that uh, that specific measurement means that it's a certain temperature, a certain concentration of, uh, of a pollutant, but they apply a fingerprinting algorithm to that much in the same way that um, Shazam does that, uh, the, the, the music app that, that allows you to identify which song you're listening to in a a bar or in a restaurant. Um, They have a database of of pollutants or nuisances that they uh, want to identify and they compare it to that. So uh, they can identify when uh, residents complain about smell, they can identify that this is coming from a wastewater treatment plant uh, or this is coming from an industrial plant. Uh, In harbors, they look at you know, oil is being burned off and we can identify whether this is oil that's from Saudi Arabia or this is oil that comes from Iraq. And based on that, we can identify exactly which ship is the culprit and find them accordingly. Uh, but it's also being used in uh, in airplanes, for example, where they look at bleed air, um, where lubricants, uh, the, the, the smoke from lubricants is, is leaking into the cabin which is a big problem for stewardesses. They looked at the metastases, breast cancers of stewardesses and about 80 or 85% of them have those compounds in them. So uh, being able to identify that and, and remedy the problem as soon as it happens, um, that's a big thing for, for the airline industry as well. So that's one of those technologies where you know, about right now about, I would say 40 to 50% of their revenue is in the water sector where they help, Wastewater treatment plants uh, monitor their odor emissions to avoid fines and to make sure that they don't harm uh, their surroundings. Uh, There's a vast number of applications where they can can grow into in the future. That makes it more exciting for us.
0: That's definitely interesting. I mean, the second one and the first one. I mean, by background the sensor. When I heard you, it's yeah, it's so many things pop up in my head because I mean. Also, based on my interaction, so many uh, challenges that I know that um, this could add value if, if you sit with those, let's say, um, those plant managers or those type of industry who are having the challenge. So it's, it's very interesting. And, um, and, and this brings me to the last question, which is, um, I mean, as a startup company, let's say in North America or in Europe in water technology. Um, I would say criteria, but what's kind of criteria or let's say the, the things they need to keep in mind or maybe the, let's say the car they need to to test first before coming to Pure Terra. So when does it make sense for an entrepreneur in water technology in Europe and North America to say, okay, now I'm having this kind of criteria, I can go to Pure Terra for
1: investment. So the, the first question um, the first question entrepreneurs need to ask themselves is, hey, do I want venture capital and do I really need right. venture capital? Um, I think there's generally speaking, and this is not true, true just in water, but for founders in general, there's a knee-jerk reaction that, okay, I can't get my business model to work. Let's just look for financing. Um, but what people often forget is, Two things. First of all, venture capital is the single most expensive money on the planet. Uh, we work with internal rates of return that go up to 80, 90 percent per year, uh, simply because you know, we're looking to make an a return, an attractive return for our investors. Uh, and unfortunately, not all startups meet their business plan. So we need to take into account that uh, a significant number of our investments are unfortunately going to fail. And the ones that do succeed need to make up for those failures. That's just how the the business works. There's no way around that. So, you know, there's a a myriad of other financing options that you can look at before turning to venture capital. You can look at your friends and family. You can look at banks. You can look at grants. You can look at your customers. See if you can get better payment terms or change your business model in a way that basically your business funds its own growth. Uh, And all of those you need to do before, uh, ever even starting to speak to a venture capitalist. Uh, because the, the second consequence of venture capital is, is that to a certain extent, the day you start taking venture capital is the day that you decide to sell your business. Um, uh, because a venture capitalist or any investor is not just going to give you money and want a percentage of your company in return. They're also going to want to have uh, some sense of control um, that's disproportionate to the shareholding that they have. Simply to make sure that when we invest uh, an X number of million euros in a business, they're not going out and buying speedboats or Lamborghinis or, or things like that. You're not you're not free anymore to just do whatever it is that you wanted to do with your business, and that is something that gets worse and worse the more financing rounds uh, you get into. Uh, I think in the U.S., the average founder on time on on, on exit has about five to 10% equity left in his own business. Now, granted that's figures that mostly come from, from tech startups. Uh, so the, the, the funding rounds are a little bit larger in that industry, but in my experience um, in the water sector, they're not that far off. So you need to realize that. And in the end that 10% is going to be of course, more valuable than the 100% you had at, at, at the start. Um, but at the same time, the, this, the startup is like a baby for many entrepreneurs. So you need to be emotionally ready uh, to give up that level of control uh, and you need to decide that that's what you want.
0: Which is not easy for most of the founders, I would say.
1: It's, it's very hard. There's a lot of emotion that comes with that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's definitely well said. Thank you very much, Martin. Would you, is there anything that you would like to add before closing the episode?
1: Um, yeah I guess uh, I mean uh, to to uh, elaborate a little bit further on you know when when you come to a venture capital firm like ours um, and when you start looking at you know which ones am I going to work with, focus on how you can extract value from your venture capital uh, investor um, a lot of us have a lot to offer, especially the ones that are uh, specialized in water and have have a large network um, but work on how you engage your investors and extract the maximum value from them. Uh, There's multiple portfolio companies who are all demanding attention. And so um, making the most of your investor uh, is is really, really important. And picking the right investor that you feel that you can uh, productively work with uh, is super important as well.
0: You mean in, in kind of organic way?
1: Yeah, in in the daily in the daily communication with your investors, you need to be super transparent, okay. and you need to engage them in such a way that that you can extract the value that that you want from them. Uh, which, if you find good investors, is far greater than the actual money that they're putting into your company. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's definitely, and then yeah, I mean, it's, and and that when you when you mention good investor, you mean. Um, set your criteria of success of your technology, your niche market, and then try to look for venture capital who can satisfy, you I mean list of criteria that you believe. Because I mean at the end of the day it's, uh, it's a young entrepreneur. They, they they may not have the full picture of what what is good for them, what is not good for them, I would say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You need to you need to think about what type of investor you want because there's different okay. types. Um, we, we, for example, are are very active, uh, which for some businesses will be great because a lot of entrepreneurs are, are looking for mentorship and, and help in in opening doors and, and and looking for advice. But at the same time, there's also entrepreneurs that may prefer to work with a more financial investor that just throws money over the fence and sits back and waits whether you succeed or not. Uh, it depends on your preference and where you are in your in your career and and where your business is. Uh, there's no right or wrong answer uh, it depends on your business so you have to think about that before you uh, engage an investor because different investors will have different expectations yep. absolutely
0: thank you very much martin it's really um it's my pleasure it's very good insight that you share with us thanks a lot martin and uh, best best luck for the aquatic in china i mean I'm, i hope that's um, I mean, how is uh, how it will be? Is it uh, would be kind of interaction? It is I mean, with a mask or with the, with the situation of COVID or?
1: No, everything is pretty much under control here. Okay. Uh, there's really hardly any cases here. So uh, a lot okay. of people do wear masks, but, um, you know, we have electronic uh, uh, scanning systems where if you if you come into contact with anybody that's suspected of being COVID then you have a QR code that turns red and then you have to get tested or get quarantined in the worst case scenario. So, um, yeah, basically life is, is pretty normal here in China. In China uh, you you can, can do everything China. you want. There's big events and uh, there's not really a big issue. Okay.
0: The best luck, like, it's very, I mean, I mean, I have never been there. I've been in Aquatech in Amsterdam. It's very interesting, uh, Fritsch, I would say. I, well, please, I,
1: please do visit next year. It's similar. Is over. It's over. Still <laughs> oh, it's much bigger. Yeah, I think oh, it's okay. um, about five times the size, or something like that. Well,
0: great. Thank you very much, Martin, and I wish you a good day. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Martin.